Ever wonder what history's most famous and infamous people would say if you asked them for their side of the story? Well, this is it. You're listening to Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. I'm Charles Dance. This is a dramatized series based on historical events that resurrect some of the world's most memorable figures. In this episode, we meet Maya Skadowska, better known as Marie Curie. She won the Nobel Prize not once, but twice. In hindsight, the Polish physicist was right to choose France to pursue her research, even though her adopted country could be rather unwelcoming. Hindsight. You've heard of them, but now it's time you hear from them. This is my home! Let me through! My daughters ain't there! The petite figure trying to get home to her children is one of the most famous women in the world. She is neither rich nor powerful, but she is responsible for changing the world of science. Her discovery of radium years before had already transformed the way scientists think about matter and energy, and it was also opening up entirely new life-saving medical treatments. But right now, Marie Curie is facing an angry mob outside her house in France. Stand aside, please. Yves? Irene, where are you? Oh, there you are. Pack your bags. We're going to stay with the Borrells in Paris. They told us we should, if there was any trouble. Oh, goodness. Look at that pile of mail. I was afraid to open it. Some letters were supportive, but so many were just so judgmental. People I once called friends were demanding that I leave France. It was almost too much to bear. We were caught, Paul and I. His wife found our love letters and had them published in the newspapers. It made front-page news. 1911. What a wretched year that was. It was also the year I won my second Nobel Prize, this time in chemistry. I do wish the press would be more interested in ideas than people. Her face looked out from the picture under the headlines, unsmiling and middle-aged, dark lines under sad eyes. Curie's affair with a former student of her late husband, Pierre, had become an obsession with the French press that autumn. A current of xenophobia ran through it all, painting the world-famous Polish scientist as a foreign-born homewrecker of a French family. It didn't matter that she was a 44-year-old widow and that Paul Langevin's marriage was widely known as miserable. She was still fair game for a sex scandal. After all, this was Marie Curie, the physicist who coined the term radioactivity. I am known as Marie Curie, but I was born Maria Skłodowska. Warsaw in 1867 wasn't easy. The city was controlled by the Russian Tsar. Mania, my Manusia. My mother always called me Mania. The whole family did. It was my nickname all through my childhood. Oh yes, the shoes will just fit fine and almost done. Why don't you sit on father's lap while I make the last stitches? 
Now, Vladislav, what will you do? As headmaster of the school, you would think you had more to say... My parents were talking politics again. A common topic for our family and friends in 1873, when Warsaw was under Russian domination. Poland hadn't been an independent country for more than a century, partitioned by Russia, Austria and Prussia. Even though about half of the population was affected by the partition, Polish nationalism remained very much alive, despite policies designed to stamp it out. The favorite target was education. The less educated public was deemed easier to control, or so it was thought. These educational policies are designed to stamp out our Polish culture. My six-year-old self soon grew bored and my eyes began to wander around the room. We lived in spacious staff lodgings at a fine school in Warsaw that my father was in charge of, or at least tried to be in charge of. My eyes rested on the shiny mahogany desk where my four older siblings and I did our schoolwork every afternoon. Our family treasures were all around. The fat, brilliant green clock, the veined marble checkerboard, and my favorites, of course. The physics apparatus. That's what father called it. And the glass bookcase filled with glass tubes, scales, and a gold-leaf electroscope. Father used them to teach, but now that the Russian-controlled government reduced the science curriculum for Polish students, the bookcase was always shut. My mother sat at her cobbler's bench, a skill she had picked up in recent years. Here, Mania. The shoes are ready. And with the Russians cutting back my father's work and pay as punishment for his resistance to their policies, every little bit counted. He'd already been fired from a teaching position before, and it would happen again. Wadislav, I don't blame you at all for this frustration. It's even worse now than when I was still working as a headmistress. But we must stand against this attempt to send our people back to the Dark Ages. <coughs> oh dear. It's a coughing spell. <laughs> it was tuberculosis, and there was little to be done about it. At the time, scientists were decades away from a truly effective treatment. Father went through much of our money to pay for therapies in Southern Europe, but nothing helped. To make matters worse, he was eventually fired for his anti-Russian views and had to take lesser teaching positions. We moved into a little apartment and had to take in lodgers to make ends meet. One of them got sick with typhus, and both my sisters came down with it. Zosia the oldest, who was like a second mother to me, died from it. I'll never forget following her coffin down Carmelite Street and the sight of my mother watching from the window of the apartment, too sick to join in the procession. Tuberculosis slowly consumed her mother. She died when Curie was just ten years old, nearly two years after the death of her sister. Oh, Mother, 
I will not forgive God for this. I do not believe anymore. This catastrophe was the first great sorrow of my life. It threw me into a profound depression. My mother had an exceptional personality. With all her intellectuality, she had a big heart and a high sense of duty. Her influence over me was extraordinary. After my mother's death, our family would never quite be the same again. Two gone, five of us left. Father, my elder sisters Bronya and Hela, my brother Yusef and me. I threw myself into schoolwork, but the Russian-dominated school system had its limitations. So here is a question, Father. All these elements on the periodic table, when were they discovered? And are there people looking for new ones? I ask at school, but no one seemed to know the history. Thankfully, my father and grandfather were able to fill in a few of the gaps, particularly in math and science. I worked hard and I graduated when I was only 15. I graduated first in my class. I was proud, but also exhausted. I had pushed myself so hard. I consumed all my subjects like a starved child, but now that it was done, I was done. Oh, I know I should be happy, Father. I know. I'm just so tired. I felt like my whole life had been in school, I had to attend the government one, as well as study the Polish language and culture on weekends away from the menacing eyes of the Russian authorities. But it wasn't just about school. It was also about Curie's emotional well-being. She'd already fallen into one depression after the death of her mother. Now, another crash. And it wouldn't be the last time Curie would bury her sorrow in work only to end up burned out by the pressure she imposed on herself. Yes, Father. I think I need a break, too. I can't wait to get to the countryside. The Skodowski family didn't have much money, but they did have noble roots. The rural refuge, the education, despite the Russian oppression, was a blessing after so many dark days. How I love the country. It instilled in me a love of nature that I would hold dear for the rest of my life. I remember once out in the woods, my father told us elements reveal their identity by the color it gives off when heated. I thought it was beautiful. Anyway, all good things come to an end. I had to return to Warsaw to attend my family and my future. Bronya, come this way. It's just down this alleyway. Quickly, I don't want to be late. We're going to hear how coal tar is synthesized into aniline dye. That's how they make purple clothes, you know. There's a bit of a tar coal at the municipal lab, so I want to give it a go next time I'm there. As women, Curie and her sisters weren't able to attend Warsaw University, so they had to make do with the so-called floating universities, a secret education network for any Pole denied higher education. Polish scholars started this underground movement, taking turns teaching what they knew best. One week at home, another lesson in a basement. The location changed regularly to avoid getting caught by the Russians. 
It certainly wasn't a complete education, and they risked arrest at every class. When I was a child, I was forced to recite all the names of the Russian Tsar. The words stuck in my throat. But now I had a chance to rebel, and I took it. I devoured literature and science in our clandestine classes. Not quite 19, she considered herself stoic and strong, much like her mother. Curie started to take on an austere style. Simple hair, simple clothing, no nonsense. This young, brilliant woman was about to throw herself into work in ways she thought herself wholly capable of. But her mental health would be tested. The floating university, while better than nothing, wasn't enough. Not for my sister Bronya, and not for me. The Sorbonne in Paris offered real opportunity. Not only was it at the center of major scientific developments in many fields, it also accepted women. But our father had no money to send us. So Bronya and I made a pact. I would work in Poland and pay her away, and then she would do the same for me once she graduated. And so I worked, sent money to Bronia in France, studied and explored my options. I finally settled on mathematics and physics. Thankfully, father was able to help fund my expenses in Paris. So Bronia didn't have to pay my way, and I could even stay with her and her new husband. I arrived in Paris in 1891, in my early 20s. Yes, I'm a new student at the Sorbonne. My name? Ah, uh, it is Maria Skłodowska. Oh, sorry. Um, please make that Marie Skłodowska. What? Oh, yes. S K. L-O I'm not sure why I decided to use the French Marie instead of Maria. I like to think I was carried away by a sense of liberation when I first arrived in Paris. Or maybe it was because so many French people struggled with foreign names. Anyway, I regretted the change pretty quickly. What would my mother have said? Changing her name to Marie might have just been an act of pragmatism a harmless compromise in a land of opportunity. But it also put the solitary young student one step further away from her Polish roots. She'd promised her father she would return, but her Polish pride was about to be overtaken by a much more powerful force, her devotion to science. Maja Skodowska was on her way to becoming Marie Curie. Hello? Is this the bus to the Sorbonne? Oh, how I came to hate that commute. Every day, an hour each way, bumping along in that coach from my sister's home outside Paris to the Sorbonne. I was wasting time. And money, too. The bus tickets were adding up. And more often than not, this is what I would arrive home to. Polish music... Polish friends, Polish politics. The home her sister shared with her Polish activist husband was a whirlwind of activity. Mary the student thought of herself as a proud Pole, 
but her devotion to study was taking over and parties with friends of the homeland were a distraction. I decided to take a room in the Latin Quarter. It was very small and very cheap. Just a floor in a small turret. Yet the little coal stove in the corner never seemed to warm it enough. On winter nights, I studied while dressed in every stitch of clothing I owned. But I could be at the chemistry laboratory in 15 minutes on foot. Perfect! I will always consider those four years in the Latin Quarter as one of the best of my life. Solitary years, exclusively devoted to study. Thank you again for the bread and cheese, Bronia. I promise I will do what the doctor says and take better care of myself. I'm just so busy. I have so much to do to finish my master's in physics. And I did it in two years. I graduated top of my class. Again. All this time, her father, expecting his youngest daughter's promised return, kept a bigger apartment than he needed in Warsaw. But she wasn't about to leave Paris now. Father wanted me back home, but I got a scholarship to stay on and do my master's in mathematics. My father understood that it was a great opportunity, and I could help pay my own way. I landed paid work as a researcher to investigate the magnetic properties of various steels. Pardon me? Oh yes, I'm sorry. The magnet machine is loud. I must carry out these experiments today, though. Oh, how I loved lab work. The repetition. The logical journey from A to B. Some might call it tedious. I found it magical. The only problem was that I had to share the university's much-in-demand lab space. Sorry, could you move over a bit, please? Thank you. You're here early. I'm usually the first one in. I needed a quiet lab with plenty of space for my equipment. A professor of mine said he thought he knew a French physicist who might be able to help, and arranged a meeting. Hello. My name is Marie Skłodowski. It's rather hard to pronounce. Marie Skłodowski. How is that for pronunciation? It's a Polish name, right? Yes. My name is Pierre Curie. Pierre Curie was a physicist who'd worked in magnetism for years. He'd invented a process called piezoelectricity with his brother, using crystals to convert mechanical energy into electrical energy. The man was as obsessed with science as Marie was, maybe even as brilliant. She'd met her match, in more ways than one. That's just what I needed. A walk in the country. Just a reward for my masters in mathematics. We were just back from one of our excursions. Pierre seemed distracted, maybe even upset by the news I had told him on the train back that I intended to go back to Poland. If you stay in Poland, how will you be able to continue your studies and get your doctorate? You have no right to abandon science. Abandon science was probably a good cover for what Pierre really meant. Pierre wanted marriage. If I didn't really love him, no problem, he said. We could have a purely friendly arrangement and work and live together in an apartment on the Rue Mouffetard. I said no. 
I just couldn't see how love and marriage were compatible with a life devoted to science. And I kept saying no. And he kept asking. When we would meet up with colleagues, alone in the park, even the lab. Especially the lab. You know I struck love and marriage off my life program long ago. So I thought you had too, Pierre. Not now that I've met you, Marie. Together in science, we can aspire to accomplish something. And what of Poland? No Pole has the right to abandon their country, not as long as the Russians rule. Well, what if I went to Poland with you and obtained a position? Would you marry me then? The idea that this man loved me enough to give up so much was something that made me reconsider. And so, in 1895, Maya Skodowska became Marie Curie. And while she was touched by Pierre's offer to return to her homeland, they both knew France provided far better opportunities for research. She stayed put, choosing science and love over Poland. Our first child, Irene, was born in 1897. I kept a record of every stage of my daughter's development just as carefully as my experiments. Pierre's father moved in with us as he was keen to help, and we hired a nurse. This meant I was also able to finish my work on magnetization. Two important firsts for me within three months the birth of my first child, and the results of my first research. I was often questioned about my ability to be a mother and a scientist, especially by women. But I never questioned it. Neither did Pierre. All the way through this time, however, friends warned the young scientist she was taking on too much. There were signs of anxiety as she tried to juggle it all. Just leave the machine on. I'll be back in a moment. I must check on Irene. I'm just certain that the nurse has lost her somewhere. Much like her student years alone in Paris, Curie was pushing herself to the extreme. She went from the lab to the nursery to the lab once again. It wasn't clear if she slept much at all. Could she really handle it? It was an exciting time to be a scientist in Europe. We were about to enter a new century, 1900. In just the last few years, discoveries of viruses and X-rays had sparked imaginations and created careers. But it was an accident that really lit up my interest. Word got round that French physicist Henri Becquerel had left a sample of uranium ore on a photographic plate and found later it had emitted rays that could fog the plate without exposure to light. Most of our friends thought interesting but obscure. But I was intrigued. These rays coming from the uranium, what caused it? At long last, did I have a focus for my doctorate? I worked with the ore of uranium, what we called pitch blonde. My husband and his brother had invented the instruments, a Curie electrometer with a piezoelectric quartz. They were beautiful instruments, 
made of gleaming mahogany and thick glass. But they were temperamental. I had to be so careful, otherwise the experiments would fail, especially when the days were humid and the heat came in under the door of the lab. But they could tell me whether a compound emitted rays and how much. I started with uranium and then made my way through every known chemical substance. I didn't believe my own results at first. I've done this experiment more than 20 times, and it's always the same result. If uranium is what is emitting the rays, this shouldn't be happening. My instinct is telling me there must be an element skewing the results. There must be another element producing these rays. A whole new element. It took me weeks and many more experiments before I was ready to believe it. I don't know if I quite remember that moment of triumph, but in the end, I was sure. At that point, Pierre joined me in the hunt. Science takes time. Time and patience and determination. We had all three, and each other. By the time we separated all the elements, we ended up isolating not one new element, but two. We couldn't see them, of course. At this stage, this discovery was only hypothetical. We hadn't actually isolated the new elements, but it was still a discovery. You'll have to name them for the paper. Could we call the first one polonium, for Poland? We can call the other radium, for the race. I had my thesis. And what a thesis! The discovery of not one new element, but two! And not only that, that discovery appended the long-held belief that atoms were indivisible. The radioactivity of these new elements proved otherwise. The hypothesis was accepted, but I knew we had a long way to go. Pierre, we still have a lot of work to do. We know the new elements are there, but we have to prove it. We need to isolate the radium and the polonium eventually. But where can we do this? We have no lab of our own. <sighs> Pierre... Didn't you say the physics faculty had an old shed that's been empty for ages? The building was dirty. You couldn't see through the windows. It was drafty too, freezing in the winter, boiling in the summer. But those three years in that old shed were the best and happiest years of our life together. Some people might not have found that very romantic, but that's not what Pierre and I were about. We loved each other. And we loved science just as much. Perhaps even more. Marie, are you ever going to come away from that pot of pitch blend? The iron rod is nearly as big as you. Oh, my love. We must have perseverance and, above all, confidence in ourselves. Finally, in 1902, I isolated one-tenth of a gram of pure radium chloride. Success. Look, Pierre, it glows. Look how it glows. Isn't it the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? 
we published all our processes in detail and we didn't patent any of them. Like most of our colleagues, we had little interest in personal financial matters. We were devoting our lives to pure scientific research for the benefit of all humanity. And this is how we would be remembered. Marie Curie's dogged, determined, grueling mission to produce that tiny amount of radium for the world to see was nothing short of Herculean. And it was in the name of science. Pierre appeared to be the more curious of the two about the potential use for radioactivity. He purposely burned his own arm during experiments to investigate the effects of radiation on living tissue. It was the beginning of cancer radiation therapy. Marie Curie would eventually also look for a practical application of her scientific discoveries, but not quite yet. Marie, you won't believe it. It's a letter from my friend on the committee for that new collection of prizes in Sweden, the Nobel. It turns out the French Academy of Sciences is lobbying for a joint award in physics to myself and Becquerel alone. I'm meeting you. Pierre Curie wrote back saying that he wouldn't accept the prize if Marie's name wasn't on it. Pierre won the argument, of course, and we were both awarded the 1903 Nobel Prize for Physics for our joint research on the radiation phenomena discovered by Professor Henri Becquerel. Becquerel likewise shared in the prize for his discovery of spontaneous radioactivity and for distinguishing the rays emitted by uranium from X-rays. We didn't go to Oslo to collect it, however. We were unwell, especially Pierre. They didn't know it then, but Marie and Pierre were being slowly poisoned by all the exposure to radiation. I didn't mind missing the ceremony. I hated all the public attention. I even got nervous when I had to lecture. Still, all the recognition helped. The Sorbonne named Pierre the new chair in physics, and I took the senior position at the new laboratory. And then our second daughter Eve was born the following year. But then, in an instant, life as I knew it was over. Hello, Pierre. Are the girls still awake? So sorry I'm so late. I got caught up in the lab again. Hello? Oh, Paul Apple. You surprised me. What are you doing here so late? Paul Apple was my husband's boss, He sat there with my father-in-law in in our sitting room, one looking as grey as the other. They broke the news to me. Pierre was dead. He was walking across the Rue Dauphine in heavy rain when he was struck by a horse-drawn cab and fell under its wheels. It is impossible for me to express the profoundness of this loss. My closest companion and my best friend. I did not feel able to face the future. Curie's daughter Eve would say it best. Madame Curie on that day in April became not only a widow, but at the same time a pitiful and incurably lonely woman. I threw myself into work to help fill the void. The university offered me Pierre's position. 
With a heavy heart, I accepted it, becoming the first female professor at the Sorbonne. I also laid the foundation of a laboratory in his name, the type of laboratory we had never had, but where others would be able to work to develop his ideas, on their own. As for my work, I had to defend all that I had achieved. The nature of our discovery of radium was being scrutinized. The famous British scientist Lord Kelvin challenged the theory that it was even an element. For years I devoted myself to identifying and isolating radioactive elements. I was working in chemistry too. I did eventually afford myself some personal happiness. I began an affair with Paul Langevin, an old student of my husband's. His marriage was unhappy, and I was lonely. In 1911, I won my second Nobel Prize, this time for chemistry, recognizing my work in breaking down radioactive compounds. It was also the year Pierre Langevin's wife sent the love letters he'd written to Marie Curie to the newspapers. I found out who my true friends were. Many of them turned against me and I was forced into hiding. Even Paul Apple, the same person who supported me after Pierre's death, told me I should leave France. But Albert Einstein, yes, the one and only, wrote me a lovely letter in the middle of it all. Do not laugh at me for writing you without having anything sensible to say. But I am so enraged by the base manner in which the public is presently daring to concern itself with you that I absolutely must give... Still, I was humiliated, embarrassed. Even those at the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences wanted me to stay away from the Nobel ceremony. But here I stood my ground. I couldn't accept that the value of scientific work should be influenced by gossip and scandal concerning one's private life. The train journey to Oslo was long. I sank deeper into dark thoughts. Pierre's death, the affair, the fight to be considered a scientist first and foremost, it was all too much. She didn't know it, but she'd already been poisoned by radiation. The doctors said it was a kidney infection, and once again, depression was setting in. On doctor's orders, Curie went to a sanitarium far away from her daughters. The separation would last for months. They wrote every day. Still, eventually and as before, Curie would bounce back with energy and vigor, just in time for another crisis. When the First World War first broke out, I found a new purpose. I got to thinking about how science could help save lives during the war. I saw potential benefits in X-rays. It was not my discovery, but I understood the science. It could save soldiers' lives by helping doctors see bullets, shrapnel and broken bones. The French government appointed Marie Curie as director of the Red Cross Radiology Service. Her first challenge 
how to get the X-ray machines to the front lines. She spent a lot of time convincing wealthy acquaintances to part with money and vehicles for the cause. And she had a new partner to help her, her eldest daughter, Irene. Irene, what do you think? If we could just refit this motor car, it might do the trick. Brilliant. It has room for the X-ray equipment and the generators. This should help the battlefield surgeons. We best get moving. I could hear the fighting all night. It was dangerous work, and both Irene and I witnessed firsthand the terrible injuries of war. But I was resolved to put all my strength at the service of my adopted country, since I could not do anything for my Poland at that time. When the war ended, Poland won its independence. Would Curie finally return home now that Poland was free? I had spent so much of my life working in solitude. But working with the X-rays on the front line woke me up to the world around me again. I wanted to take a more active role in shaping society, like so many scientists at the time. Hello? Is that Mr. Einstein? I know. I think these telephones are truly extraordinary. We should organize a report for the new League of Nations. What do you think? I devoted more time to establishing institutions that would continue the study of radium and radioactivity. Under my direction, the Radium Institute of Paris became a world-class center for the study of this field. And once that work was done, I turned my attention to Poland, where I helped establish the Warsaw Institute for Radium. My sister Bronia had moved back several years before, so I appointed her as director. The irony of it all was that there was little radium in the hands of scientists. I had to travel to the United States to get just a little of it. Despite her shyness and claim to hate the spotlight, Curie was shameless when it came to fundraising for her beloved institutes. The first gram of radium she managed to collect went to France. The Polish Institute had to wait for the second tour. She traveled extensively and attended countless engagements, including at the White House. And of course, she was expected to pose for the press along the way. She almost never smiled for the cameras. She'd always been so serious, and now, in her fifties, she was getting very sick. She'd spent years surrounded by radioactive compounds. She was even known to walk around with glowing test tubes in her pockets. I wish to share my regret with you all for all the cancelled events and shortened speeches on this tour of your United States. Curie was tired anemic. The risks of radium and radioactivity were not fully understood at the time. I did know that X-rays were dangerous. The scars on my hands from all the exposure during the war were evidence of that. I suppose it's possible radium had something to do with my troubles, but it cannot be affirmed with certainty. I still had so much enthusiasm for life, but my body was giving out. 
When my sister Bronya came to visit me in France, I had such a tour planned for us. But it was such a disappointment. Oh, Bronya. I'm so sorry for this. I don't even have the strength to read a book. This fever. These chills. It was the last time the two sisters would see each other. Marie spent her last days in a delirium in a sanatorium. I relived snippets from my working life. The paragraphing of the chapters ought to all be done alike. Ignoring my daughters at my bedside. I've been thinking of that publication. Was it done with radium or with mesoitorium? People knew me as Marie Curie. But I always signed my research papers, Marie Skłodowski Curie. I think I'd want people to know that. Curie died at the Saint-Salamouz Sanatorium in Passy, France, on the 4th of July, 1934. She was 66. Her doctor wrote that the official cause of death was anaplastic pernicious anemia with rapid feverish development. The bone marrow did not react, probably because it had been injured by the long accumulation of radiation. Marie and Pierre Curie's work in radioactivity and radiation left a public legacy of great contrast, paving the path to new effective cancer treatments. Their work also led to the development of the atomic bomb. As for their daughters, Eve became a writer and a journalist, and Irene was a great scientist. Just like her mother, she won the 1935 Nobel Prize for Chemistry, along with her husband. Marie Curie not only participated in early 20th century science, she dominated it. And this at a time when most women were still fighting for the right to vote. Marie Curie remains one of the few scientists whose name is recognized the world over. And she remains the only woman to win the Nobel Prize twice an achievement waiting to be matched. Hindsight is narrated by me, Charles Dance. This series was produced by South Podcasts. Their team is producer and editor Tala Alisa, associate producer Asant Samut. This episode is written by Morgan Waters. Sound design by Tasia Kabani. Sound editing by Mahmoud Abunada. Director Zain Ganma. Research by Karim Hatem. Fact checking by Bayan Alaruri. Marie Curie is played by Anita Pietrowska. Pierre Curie is played by Jean Pierre Baptiste. Recording by TVC Soho Studios and the voiceover gallery. Additional research and fact-checking by Al Jazeera and Lynn Nguyen. Script editing by Danello Havaleshka. The senior copy editor is Hala Sudani. Joe DeFrias is the executive producer of Special Projects. Juan Carlos Van Meek is Al Jazeera's director of digital innovation and programming. Hindsight is a historical drama podcast. All dramatized scenes and dialogue are inspired by historical events 
and old interviews with people close to the subject. 